The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help us to bring you great conversations with great photographers. Support the show today with your monthly contribution through our Patreon effort at patreon.com forward slash the Candid Frame or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you. This is Ibadi NX, and this is The Candid Frame. Happy New Year, and welcome to a new season of The Candid Frame. This will be our 11th season, and I'm really excited about the many conversations we're going to share with you this year. You've got a lot to look forward to. And as proud as I am about the work that we do here, I know that there are so many out there that have never heard of The Candid Frame. And as a result, are missing out on some of the great conversations we've had with photographers like Mary Ellen Mark, Dan Winters, Joel Meyerowitz, and so many others. The insight and the inspiration that these conversations bring means a lot to me, and I hope that it's meant a lot to you too, over whatever period of time that you've been listening to the show. If so, I'd like to solicit your help in spreading the word by using your own social networks, be it Twitter, Facebook, or Google+. It can be as easy as just following me on Twitter or Facebook and just resharing my announcements of new episodes as they're released. Or you can just comment on an episode that you like and share it with others by using the hashtag CandidFrame. I'll have links to our various social networks in the show notes. You know, we don't spend a lot of time talking about gear and tech on the show, and so an audience is not naturally drawn to us. But it's people like you, sharing your passion for what we do, that will make that difference and help us take TCF to even greater heights in 2017. And to lead off the season, I'm pleased to share a conversation with photographer Mark Bennington. He's a portrait photographer based out of New York, whose new book is Living the Dream, and it provides a behind-the-scenes look at the world of the movie industry in India. It's yet another example of how photographs reveal and share a way of life that most of us will never know and experience. Mark is a big proponent of personal projects, as you'll see when you visit his website and you hear the interview. And as you begin your own photographic year, I hope you remember that you have the opportunity to share images and stories that can and will reveal the unique, the beautiful, the surprising things that make our world today an amazing place to live in. All right. Well, Mark, welcome to The Candid Frame. It's a real pleasure to, to, to have you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very... I'm honored to be here. Now, you're a very busy photographer, but I'm really sort of amazed at uh, how persistent you are in terms of your personal projects, two yeah. of which we're going to be talking about uh, today. But why don't you tell us a little bit about how you sort of segued into photography, because you had other careers before you became a full-time photographer. Yeah, I mean, I, I was um, I was an actor for about 10 years uh, in New York, I trained in New York, uh, lived here for six years in the early 90s. And then I was in uh, Los Angeles for 16 years 
uh, ultimately. But the first, I guess the first four or five of those years, I was an actor and uh, doing a lot of theater. I mean, I did a lot of regional theater and Shakespeare and then got into, you know, finally got a good agent and a good manager and started getting more auditions for film and TV and, and started doing a lot of TV roles. And then that sort of in the early early part of 2000, 2001, 2002, that started to, um, I was going through a big shift in my life. I had just turned 33 and had uh, been in a long-term relationship and, and had left that relationship. So it's, you know, there's the major things in my life were starting to shift. And I was auditioning a lot, not booking. You know, it was like one of those periods where, you know, you can't get arrested. Yeah. So I started to think about, you know, other things I could possibly do. And my grandfather had been an avid amateur photographer for years and had always wanted me to get into it so that he and I could sort of share this dialogue. And he passed away in 96, but he had left me all of his cameras and lenses. So I, I had all of this stuff lying around. In fact, one day I was, you know, I had, <laughs> you know, I was living in this new place and I was sort of in the fetal position. And I looked up and I was, you know, I had tears running down my eyes and I saw this camera and I thought, well, maybe I could, you know, take headshots of my friends, you know, uh, until I figure out, you know, what I'm going to do with my life. That started this whole new uh, journey for me. I did take some headshots of my, my friends. In fact, uh, all my friends and put a book together and took it into uh, Cunningham, my commercial agent at the time. They, you know, they kind of flipped out. They were like, wow, Mark, we didn't know you could shoot. I said, yeah, <laughs> of course. And they started sending me a few people almost overnight i mean within the first you know 6 months of shooting i was i was suddenly making a living doing it in fact that that first year they sent me about 300 people oh wow so so that really really was a life changer and it suddenly felt like for me i had been you know a fish swimming upstream and had turned around and now was going downstream everything just sort of seemed to be working and so much so that I mean, my, my life has been so much about serendipity and sort of, that, that, that's really how things have happened for me. Yeah. And, and maybe that's true for a lot of people. But certainly for me, I, I remember I had, you know, right, right at the day, almost the week I got my cards that said, you know, photographer. I met with this, this woman who, long story, she was a creative director working on a Navy, this Navy project. I had just started shooting headshots I, and and as I was making money doing this, I thought to myself, I should probably go back to school and and actually learn the craft. So I, I was taking a class at Santa Monica, Santa Monica Community College. I went to my teacher. I said, "Hey, this, this woman, um, this woman who works for the Navy. You know, I've been in touch with her, and she asked me to send her some stuff about this possible project." And he said, "Well, you're, it looks like you're way in over your head, but what I would do is." you know, do a couple of sample shoots, send those to her. And anyway, so that's what I did. Ended up booking this job for the Navy. And that sort of set me on a, a whole new course. Yeah, that serendipity is is, is wild, especially yeah. the, the way you tell the story in your in your book about how this the whole project sort of got started. Um, yeah. You tell us about that, about how you eventually how you, you know, went on a trip to to um, to India with sort of this German of, a, of an idea and how serendipity sort of helped that to happen. The whole thing started with, um, at Look 3, I don't know if, you, have you been to Look 3? No. Mm -mm. In, um, in Charlottesville? I had, um, j just to back up a couple of years, I had gone, I was on this trip, again, serendipity, I was uh, on this trip to Italy 
a couple of years before and was going through this, this uh, I was totally lost in Montepulciano and met this person who knew, who knew David Allen Harvey, who I'd never heard of, oh, okay. you know? And so anyway, I just happened to be in this small town. I meet Dave Harvey and, and all of these guys at, uh, at seven. And um, so I, I, I struck up this relationship with Harvey Anyway, cut to a couple of years later, I was at Look 3, and so he and I were talking. He was saying, you know, if you really want to get into this as a second career, you should do a book. Like, that's, that's what you really need to do. And he, anyone who knows him is, knows that he's hot on, you know, everyone developing their own projects and book projects yeah. and, and stuff like that. So, so that's how that started. He said, I think you really should do a book on, uh, on actors in Los Angeles since you were one, you know so many actors, and there's not been an honest-to-God you know, documentary book on actors in Los Angeles. And I said, well, that sounds like a good idea, but I kind of, I'm thinking like I, I'd like to do a book on feet. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, feet? He was like, what are you talking about, kid? I don't, I don't get it. Anyway, so I started working on, the, on this, uh, this other project called The Foot Book, which, I, which is out there somewhere. But I, I, I kind of started doing, uh, started uh, this project in Los Angeles, which turned out to go nowhere because I couldn't get in any doors. And then I went to India, I cut to, I, I go to India in 2010, sort of on this sojourn, you know, was, I had just turned 40. I was looking for something different, looking for, I don't know what I was looking for, but I wanted to get out of Los Angeles and out of the country and, and, and find something else. And then as I was there, I thought, well, maybe I could go to Bombay and maybe I could meet some actors. And that's where, you know, I, I was supposed to, when I arrived in Bombay, after traveling up in northern India for about four weeks, I went to Bombay, was supposed to stay with a good friend's real estate agent's brother uh, when I got there. And as soon as I got there, I called him and he said, I'm so sorry you can't stay. My father's sick. You know, you have to find another place. <laughs> Again, like totally stop me if I'm... <laughs> no, keep going. I'm You're good. The king of tangents. Um, so I go on uh, Craigslist Bombay, or Craigslist Mumbai, I should say. And the only thing that I knew about um, about Bollywood and, and even approaching the subject was uh, people told me that you have to go to Bandra. This word Bandra stuck out in my mind because that's where all the actors lived. So... I, I look up on Craigslist Mumbai and the first thing that comes up is rent a room in my apartment in Bandra. And I thought, ah, that's a sign. And so I go there and as soon as I go there, this woman who is an American who's staying in the room next to me, turns out, long story, she, is, she and I are born in the same hospital in Boone County, Missouri. <laughs> and so she asked me what I'm doing there and I, I tell her that I'm you know, starting this project. And at this point, I'm just sort of creating this project in my head and I'm just talking about it as if it exists. Saying that I'm working on an article, you know, juxtaposing the acting communities of Hollywood and Bollywood uh, for Rolling Stone, which uh, was almost completely made up. I did know some people at Rolling Stone and they were said, you know, if there's a thing, we could be interested. But I was just approaching it as if it were a done deal. And in any case, I asked her what she did and she said, I'm a... Uh, I'm a professional catalyst. And I said, well, what does that mean? What do you actually do? And she said, I make things happen. I love that. Great. Yeah. I said, okay, great. I, that's great. And a few days later, then she called me and she said, hey, I'm having lunch with this lawyer who represents some Bollywood people. Um, you should, um, you know, pitch him your idea. And I, I met my friend, my now friend, Jamshed, and we spoke for four hours about everything except for the project. And then the last 10 minutes of our conversation, I told him about the project. He said, sure, call me tomorrow and we'll set some stuff up. That's sort of the way it works in India. Like it's very much a, um, 
it's led with feeling. It's led with the heart. On another occasion, I had a meeting with a, a guy who, um, you know, I asked him in the meeting, I said, do you want to see my book? And he said, no. He said, I just want to see if you're sincere. Hmm. That was it. And, and I was. And that's, that, that's the thing. You go there. And if you are sincere, if you go there just as a foreigner who's looking to, you know, not really as shoot as an outsider and treat it that way, it, it doesn't, it, I think we've seen a lot of that. And, and my, my feeling was, and I'm, I'm not patting myself on the back, I'm just, I, I was really sincere about wanting to know what the actor's life was like. And, and that was my wholehearted approach in conversations, in shooting, uh, in interviews with the actors. You know, it was, what's amazing about the, about the story and how it's just manifested in, manifested in this really sort of beautiful book is that, you know, going in, you didn't have a lot of knowledge about the Indian film industry, right? Oh, man. And, nope. But it's... But, you know, what you just said, it was the sincerity of your curiosity yeah. to sort of gain entry into a world that most people would think it would be very difficult to get access to. And then you discovered how how different it is from the world that you had left behind here in the, the States compared to, to Hollywood. Yeah. So yeah. T- tell me about sort of having to sort of discover on the fly and learn on the fly how everything sort of worked there. Well, what happened was on that first trip, you know, I, I, I guess w- what I had in mind was the layout of the book or the blueprint of the book was like Lauren Greenfeld's girl culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of what I had in mind. And I thought, you know, if I, if I were to get every branch of the tree of the acting community, you know, that would be a really cool thing. And in the, the first, you know, that, that first trip, it was only about a week there that I was shooting and I met probably about 20, 20 actors. So when I went back, so I, I, you know, went back to the States after that first trip, sort of to regroup and, and think like, well, what is this, you know, is this just going to be an article? Is it going to be, I don't know what it was going to be. But the the person who was taking around me around Bombay to introduce me to actors is a woman named Ganit Munga, and she is a film producer. She produced this film a couple years ago called Lunchbox. She's done a number of films, but uh, she's a fantastic human being. So she came out and stayed with me uh, in L.A. for a couple of weeks, and she was just saying, you know, you really should come back and consider doing a book and all of this stuff. And when I, I eventually did about eight months later go back to, to Bombay. Um, so this would have been in the latter part of 2010. And as soon as I got back, I met with a, a, another new friend of mine. And I said, put, put together a list of all the different names. You know, give me, give me a great, juicy list of, you know, totally diverse mix of actors. You know, theater people, one-hit wonders, old-timers, yesteryear stars, you know, beginners, you name it. He did that. And I didn't recognize a single name on the list. Not one, except for Shah Rukh Khan, mm-hmm. who's a massive star, uh, and Salman. Anyway, so I, 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 that's when it, the whole thing just hit me. Like, here I was. I was prepared to stay for two months in India, and I had no idea. I literally felt like I was at the base of Mount Everest, and I had forgotten to get a backpack or water or trail mix or anything. <laughs> like, I, I had no idea. I just was all, all heart and no I, – I had no idea what was um, – what was in front of me. So that's when the process started of every day looking up theater families, acting families, uh, acting dynasties, 
like the Kapoor family. I mean, there's there's so many of them, and watching Bollywood films because at that point I'd watched maybe you know five or ten Bollywood films at the most. So I really immersed myself in the study of you know Bollywood. The history of their acting community, and you know, from reading uh, the uh, the essay at the, at the beginning of the, of the book, what was a, a completely new discovery for me was how stardom works in India. Mm-hmm. You know, and and yeah. how it's it is as you just said, familial. You know that mm-hmm. there are basically yeah. like dynasties of families, where you're generation right. after generation, regardless of whether or not they're quote unquote talented or not, still right. find themselves being stars in the industry. And and I think most importantly is the way they are seen in within the culture, because it's not just oh there's a there's a movie star that we admire and you know that we read about in the magazines. People here literally feel like that, that they're part of the family. I mean, yeah. they are they're so ingrained into the culture that uh, I was reading when, you know, uh, in the essay about when people fall ill that you'll see hundreds, thousands, not thousands of people out there praying for a person that they don't even know publicly doing it publicly. Yeah, that's fascinating. Right. We don't we really don't and I think that that's that's the part of the culture that we just don't can't even imagine here. I mean, here, you know, Tom Cruise or whoever, um, you know, Tom Hanks will go out and have lunch and people walk by and they don't even bother him. Mm-hmm. And there it's just not possible for stars to leave the house without, you know, hundreds of people following them around because, uh, you know, they're, they're very much a culture that, that you know, they, they're a worshiping culture. They have so many gods. Yeah. And that falls into uh, that part of the psyche where, you know, these actors are not just actors. They're many times they're considered gods and and there there are temples built for them. And now that's not true for every actor, but I mean, some of the big ones, that's Mm -hmm. that's the way that's the case. And as you described, like, yeah, there are people that wait out in front of the hospital. I mean, just even in front of Salman Khan's house or, or Shah Rukh's house in Bandra. I mean, you go there any time of the day, and there are 20 to 40 to 50 to 100 people standing out, just staring up at the balcony, just waiting for him to come out. Wow. Any time of the day. We don't have anything like that here. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's kind of fascinating understanding that and then looking at your photographs, which show these people in very sort of ordinary circumstances where they're not glamorized. So to to us, that looks relatively normal, but I'm sure to the audiences and the people in India, when they see these photographs, it must be quite jarring to see their, their stars in ways that they never see them outside of the, the, the screen. Absolutely. I, I, I feel the same way. I look at the book and I go, you know, a lot of these are just ordinary shots, but in the context, like when you contextualize it, it is absolutely the people that I've shown this book to in India, they cannot believe when they see a photograph of uh, Hema Malini, she has never been seen wearing anything other than a sari. Hmm. And here she is in jeans and a T-shirt watering her plants. I mean, it's just <laughs> shocking. <laughs> and to us, we look at the photograph and go, oh, okay. Um, but it's, it's a big deal there. And, and that's been sort of the feedback across the board is that, wow, the, you know, you really capture the way these people look because the only way they've seen uh, most of the stars is on the red carpet or these glammed up shots. And I mean, really, really some cheesy glammed up shots of of people you know suntan lotion and sunglasses and 
you know, very... Did you find, because you, you, shoot, you photograph of a, a wide variety of people at different levels of achievement and stardom in India. Yep. It, isn't, it isn't just the, the big stars, even though you have a number of, of huge stars in there. But did you find that with the people who were more, more known that they were as protective as we imagine the stars here to be of how they're perceived and how they're shot and how they're, they're looked at? Or did you find that there was a sort of different attitude that they had to being revealed in, in the photographs that you were making? I, I would say yes and no. I think for the most part, yeah, they they were. I'm trying to think if there was anyone that wasn't at that level. There's such a, I mean, there's such a high level of of vanity. I think just due to the nature of the business, th- there were a number of of female stars that I had to reshoot because they didn't approve of the shot, you know, the first time around, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I mean, I, I and everyone else thought it was a good shot, but they thought they, you know, looked this way or that way. So uh, one and then there were other instances of, you know, competition where one one shot the frame, the, the actress is smaller in the frame than her main competitor who's larger who has a shot where she <laughs> takes up more space of the frame so little things like that um that that sort of <laughs> came into play sometimes it was really interesting in reading the essay about the attitude they have to their image not just in terms of how they look in photographs but how they look on screen that the the, the director who who wrote the uh, the introduction to the, to the book was talking about that rather than sitting down there and going over their lines or going over their characters they're looking in a mirror because right. so much of what how they see and how they actually probably are weighted in terms of their persona and their achievements as a as an actor has so much to do with how they're going to look and, and and less so to some extent in terms of their abilities as as actors yeah they it's it's uh, it's different they're also in the sense that the star completely has the power of uh, of the set they will wait on stars to show up. Sometimes a star will not come out of their dressing room for three or four hours. They'll keep people waiting. Don't know why, they just do, hmm. sometimes. There's a lot of politics that, that happens. In fact, um, you know, I've, I had to wait myself, not just, I'm just using myself as an example. When I was going to meet people, there were times that I was made to wait for m- many hours just because I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, and that sort of uh, comes into play there on a set. So it's many times it's less of the director that has control of the set, and it's more of the star. Just in the you know what's happening politically, just in that you know social dynamic. Just to, just to go back to to the question of the vanity, like literally before every take. It's not just before every scene; it's before every single take of every scene. They're not looking at their script. They're you know, their makeup, hair and makeup person does final touches and then they have a mirror that they put right in front of them and then they themselves do their final touches and then they can start. So again, it's like they are sort of controlling the pace of the filming. Wow. Yeah. Did your experience as an actor and your own experience in film and in television and theater it help you at all in terms of being able to negotiate this world or did not that not mean anything at all? Um, I think it does. I, I think it does. Um, going into some situations where, let's say, you know, there's situations where you're nervous, <laughs> you know, which can happen from time to time. Uh, you know, meeting. I, I hung out with Salman Khan for two days, and 
just meeting him and now I don't have a history of seeing him on screen I'd, I'd seen a couple of films but I mean this is a big not only is he a mega 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 star but he has people surrounding him that are you know I mean they're guys with machine guns mm-hmm. I mean it's a big deal and when I first met him he was sitting at a table with Shatrughan Sinha and uh, who is a old time uh, you know yesteryear star now politician they're sitting at this long table and it's as if it were lunchtime or just post lunchtime. They're sitting there quietly, and across from them is this row of family or people, friends, but everyone's sitting there quietly. And when I mean quiet, I mean nobody's talking mm-hmm. at all. And uh, and this is a cultural thing where that just happens. There's lots of lots of moments of silence. And so I arrived, and I was just quiet. Finally, after about two minutes, somebody asked me a question and I <laughs> sort of said, but here I am standing, you know, sort of like I was at the, the foot of the, you know, the king is up on his right. seat and I'm, I'm presented to the king. I think dealing with those situations, having had been an actor and, and had done numerous uh, performances of plays in front of hundreds of people or, or even gone to, you know, going, going to final callbacks on a, on a TV show where you know, it's you, you against another person in your front of a, in front of the director and 15 producers or, you know, five producers and a casting director. Anyway, it's this, this level of, of anxiety, <laughs> that, you know, de- dealing with that, Yeah. you know, or, yeah, I mean, I think that's where it comes into play most. And also, you know, quite frankly, just sometimes acting like you know what you're doing when you kind of don't, that, that certainly comes into play. I don't know if that has to do with acting or more just, you know, getting older and being more comfortable with yourself and knowing that things will work out however it shakes, however it shakes down. How did the how did the project evolve as you started to not only learn more about the film industry, but as you got to know different people who would reveal different yeah. aspects of of the dynamics that make that whole industry work from, you know, from the, you know, from the person doing the 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 very basic thing like Fishing coffee or moving yeah. scripts to like the top directors and actors and everything in between. How how did what you learned from them help to refine the idea that you initially had had led you to to create the project? Right. Well, there was sort of a clear demarcation around uh, halfway through the project. I'd say in retrospect, where. I was starting to get some traction, or the project was starting to get, to get some traction. I had, you know, met this woman, Shanu Sharma, who's the casting director at Yashraj Films. So she, you know, it was a hu- huge uh, boon coming in contact with her. She knows everyone. She's from a film family. And she really took a liking to the project and to me as a photographer. And, and that was um, just you know, she was able to pick up the phone and put me in contact with people that I just, you know, at a certain point I couldn't go any further, so to speak. And as I was coming in contact with bigger stars, it suddenly became almost a project of like who's who in in the star in in that in that world. Mm-hmm. Like you know, trying to get more and more and more and more stars. And I kept on saying, I kept on reminding myself and then selling everyone like this is not a project about stars this is a i want to capture every branch of the tree this is a it's almost an anthropological project where i I want to represent the community in its totality not just have it be a a star i mean i absolutely didn't want it to be a star project 
Um, you know, ha- having the person, and and that's something I I very much feel you know deeply in in all of my work is that I want the person who has you know a couple of lines, or you know the person who is just getting started. Their their story is is as relevant as you know the person who's been doing it for twenty years. Now, obviously, they're they're not comparable in their in their craftsmanship, but as human beings, their stories are just as valid. Did you feel like the fact that you didn't sort of weren't familiar with these people's bodies of work and that they weren't these sort of celebrities in your own mind sort of helped you sort of bridge the gap as opposed to if you had been here and then you're in front of Julia Roberts or Tom Hanks that all of a sudden just because of the history that they have in your own life that somehow that would have been a deterrent to you being able to get what you needed? Absolutely. And that's what I mean like meeting Salman to me I had seen him in a couple of films and you know uh, I was relating to him as a, I, I mean, really, you know, when I met him, he, within the first few minutes of our talking, it just absolutely felt like we were just guys that went to high school. He was just one of the guys I knew at high school mm-hmm. who just happened to win the lottery, you know? <laughs> and, you know, he's a great guy, but literally like just won the lottery and he's still the same guy and, and a normal guy too. And now that also has gotten me some flack in my, you know, in some of my representations of people as quote unquote normal, I've gotten some flack in some of the images uh, from, you know, Indians that, that this is not, you know, how can you make, you know, Salman is like a God, how can you make him look like just a normal guy? Mm. But, but to go back to your question, I I absolutely 100% think my coming as an outsider gave me a lead into, to approach I I also just in terms of getting the the access that I did I think it 100% and I was told several times that that an Indian photographer could not have gotten the access that I did I think because I was a foreigner and because I was you know Shanu was helping me but many times it was because I was a foreigner that I was getting access to to people that I wouldn't normally um and then just in terms of you know just the the vibe in the room yeah I I, I'm just looking at the, you know, I'm sitting with Darmendra, who's a mega, you know, he's been a, a mega star for 50 years, like 50 years, wow. a mega star. And here I am just sitting with him and, and he's just so lovely and wonderful. And I, and, and it's not like he's a grandfather figure, but I'm just, I don't know. He's just a guy. I'm just looking into his eyes right. and he's, he's looking at me. And, and actually when I went back to get his release, um, and that's a whole nother topic, but when I had to go back and get his release, he he had me read to him, you know, the excerpt that you know the the, the long uh, the quote that I gave him. And as I was reading it to him, I started crying. And then and it's just me and him sitting in there in the room. He starts crying. It was just a beautiful moment. He reached out and he touched my leg. And it was, I mean, this guy's a megastar. Wow. But he's also he's just a you know just a guy. You know, before we we talk about America 2.0, um, I look at your site and I see that so much of what I see on that site is about these these projects that you work on. Yep. And, you know, I, I talk to a, a lot of photographers and I see a lot of photographers who show their bodies of work, whether it's editorial or commercial or whatever it, whatever it is. And they may work on some personal projects, but they seem to be sort of secondary yeah. to, to what they're doing. But it seems like for you, the project is really where you find your home as, as a photographer. Why is it so important to you? You know, I, I still make my living as a commercial photographer. Mm-hmm. I still, you know, I do a lot of, and, and now I've... I've met a lot of big photographers who sort of tell me in private that, yeah, they do, you know, 
they, they do corporate gigs and stuff like that. You got to pay the bills. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's sort of that like, you know, in the, in the back room, people will tell you. So a, a good part of my time is spent doing those gigs, which I, I enjoy and I, and I do a good job at. To me, it's sort of like uh, photography is sort of like surfing. And uh, not that I've ever surfed, but the people that I know that, have, that are, you know, lifelong surfers, the way they describe catching a wave is every single time it's for the first time, you know, no mm. two waves are the same. And, and it's kind of like that with every single thing you're shooting, like trying to, trying to get the shot, trying to get the shot, trying to get the shot. So, ha- so, you know, sort of having my life as a, you know, as a, as a working guy and then having these projects, which also facilitates work. It just seems to be more of a creative voice, a more personal voice, a more active voice I'm not just working for hire. This is my, you know, the things that I'm I'm really interested in. Yeah. Well, tell us about America 2.0. What for people who have not seen the images? What what is the project about, and how did it come about? This came about with, you know, it sort of started in my in my mind about a year ago with all of that, you know, Trump Muslim rhetoric. This whole election year for everyone has been so just really uh, uh, disturbing in many ways. With a lot of that rhetoric, I just, I kind of, I, I started thinking about how I could, what, what could I do that could contribute uh, to the Muslim anxiety? You know, how, how could, if, if I could do anything, how could I do it and, and, and could I do it in a positive way? I started thinking about a project that was going to be like um, an art project, quote unquote art project, that would be faux ads, uh, you know, an ad for Reebok or Pepsi or whatever that would have an all Muslim cast. And then, you know, maybe, you know, a few other people, but mostly Muslim cast. As I was starting to come in contact with some people in that community, I started taking portraits. You know, I thought in the meantime, while I figure out actually the legalities of of doing a project like that, uh, maybe I could just take some portraits. So I just did it really, you know, on a simple uh, gray background. And, you know, I'm a, huge fan of Irving Penn and, and, the, and the, you know, Brady from the early days. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I thought, let me just do it in my studio and just do all natural light and just put up a great background and sort of let the, the you know, the, the subject sort of stand out in, in sharp relief there. So the people I, I was coming in and, and, and also the people I just happened to, again, through serendipity, and I think this is always sort of a case with artistic projects, is you sort of put one foot forward and then see what other foot comes out to meet you. I was sort of putting this forward, and then what came to meet me was Muslim youth. Because of the people that I was put in contact with, I came in contact with this young woman who was the president of the Muslim Student Association at Brooklyn Technical High School. And so here I was presented with Muslim youth. I thought, okay, well, that's now, now we're dealing with first-time voters. That's interesting. Mm. So that started a narrative with them that became more political, and yet at the same time, I re- really wanted to capture everyday life, and not, you know, and and in the way to do that, since I wasn't not going to be shooting environmentally, since I was in the studio, then I thought, let me substantiate this with their own stories, and so that became this, uh, you know, this robust dialogue of, you know, just talk, at, asking them about school and what they wanted to do, and favorite bands, and dating, and gossip, and you know, sports and you name it. So that was just sort of like um, a a way in on a very sort of just a real normal 
normal level. Yeah, I think, and that's what I really liked about the project was, and what was so refreshing was reading their words uh, beneath mm-hmm. the the photographs because as as some of the, as some of them uh, some of them uh, some of your subjects said themselves that they don't want to be judged by you know the 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 wrap that they're they're wearing over their over their head yeah. or because of their yeah. or whatever clothing they're wearing or you know and it was just like hearing them in their words talking about you know what they're interested in yeah. and what they're studying really goes a long way to sort of going beyond the visual and really humanizing them in a beautiful way that's right and it really normalizes that that dialogue that that uh, that narrative and and they're under I believe they're under a lot of pressure and and ultimately you know somebody recently asked this this thing has gotten so much traction and somebody in an interview uh, yesterday was saying well what do you want to get out of this and I I was saying I just want people to see people period mm-hmm. I don't want them to see a scarf I want them to see a person I want them and when you look at the photographs and what I hope happens is you you see someone that you know you go oh that looks like my you know, my daughter's friend on the soccer team, or that looks like a young girl at church, or that looks like one of the kids, you know, down the street. And, and, and then in that way, you start to see yourself. You know, when you, when you change the dialogue of familiarity, it brings everything closer. Thing, things, are not so, things are not so far apart. How did the, the work that you did with the, um, the film industry and the Indian film industry book and interacting with all those people help you when it came to this one? How did you, or how did you sort of evolve and, and, and change as a result of that work into this one? Um, well, I think pushing myself, first of all, to shoot, I, I really do like to shoot because I really still feel like, you know, even though I've been doing this full time for 13 years, I really feel like I'm still just starting uh, in many ways. And that's a great thing. I still feel like I'm still learning. I'm still like a student uh, in many ways. And so I wanted to, you know, if I didn't have, if I couldn't rely on, having the the environment tell the story then having the the narrative tell you know having that the caption imbibe their photograph i think that's that, that was the connection is because with uh, with living the dream that was the first time i had ever interviewed people i'd never done it before i mean i'd take you know i was a photographer i take mm-hmm. photographs and and that's it but here i was sitting down with people for sometimes hours on end asking them all these questions. Um, so I was trying, that was a huge learning curve for me too. How do you dig and how do, how do you get an answer? If you're not quite getting the answer you want or right. want to lead into something, how can you try it a little bit this way and try it a little bit that way? And sort of, it sort of moves on this, uh, on this rotation. And that's, I, so I brought that with me to this project of, of interviewing people. You know, what's interesting about both of these projects is that the viewers uh, who see these, be they the people in India who see this, see these books of these actors or people in this country who see these pictures of, of Muslims, it's almost guaranteed to evoke some very strong reactions, <laughs> some of which you could probably uh, could not have anticipated. How does that sort of fit into your experience of the work through other people's eyes i with the for instance with the bollywood book i feel like i was many times i was uh, or most of the time i was on target um getting the people how i really felt they they really looked uh and then some of the backlash to that was that well you're you know destroying our image of this person because he looks like a normal guy Mm -hmm. or she looks like a normal girl with this project it's been across the board positive I've, I've had some people in the Muslim community reach out to me and say, you know, thank you very much for doing this. At the same time, we feel like you have not fully represented us in the sense that you have only gotten 
you know, South Asian and Arab Muslims. And there are no, you know, white or black Muslims mm-hmm. in this project. And I, you know, uh, have said this, these, first of all, it's a work in project <laughs> progress. Uh, it's not finished. And, and second of all, I've, I've only come in contact with, you know, the people that I've come in contact, they have turned me on to their family and friends. And so the circle has been relatively small. And so I'm, I'm trying to diversify within the community. And so I'm just reassuring everyone that that it actually is happening. And in fact, this Saturday, I'm, I've got 17 more shoots but how, over, how, over the weekend. <laughs> so. But with this latest project, how's, how's the fact that you're already, even before you finished it, yeah. you're, getting, you're getting press, you're getting attention, you're getting feedback, both positive and sometimes negative. Yeah. Now, usually when you, when you produce something, you know, it's not until you're finished. Mm. But now you're still in the middle of it. How does that, does it color how you uh, approach it not not just in terms of how you shoot it but maybe how you put it out there the, the work that you've done this far just in terms of that, that it's come through just in terms of diversifying the project and and also you know people said you know why don't you have some you know young folks the millennials in uniform let's say why don't you just try you know visually diversify it that's been you know that's been the biggest takeaway you know, one of the one of the shots that I really love is that is a woman who's sort of dressed in sort of a mishmash. Uh, I think she has a head wrap, and then she has a cap on top as well. Yeah, yeah. And I just I just love that because I think that really speaks to the whole idea of these are just people. You know, yeah. they're not just this homogenous group. And here's yeah. here's a woman that is a reflection not only of her religion but just being an American. That's right. And to see that embodied in a single photograph, I thought was just really really nice. Yeah, thank you. Though you know those girls I saw on the path train. My wife and I live in Jersey City, and I, I saw these girls on the path train coming home. And when I saw the backwards hat, I just oh, my <laughs> eyes lit up. But, because actually at that point, I, I remember I was sort of feeling a little like oh, this project is not going to work out, and people are not responding. You know, like even in terms of just getting subjects uh, to photograph. You know, there are always ebbs and flows in uh, in whatever project, any given project. So I saw them on the train and that was just, oh, I gave them my card. I told them what I was doing. I showed them a few photographs. They got excited. And then a few days later, they called and and then we set up the shoot. In fact, tomorrow I'm going to meet up with them again. Some former students of mine at Newhouse are coming here uh, to do a documentary film on this, uh, on America 2.0 and the making of. And um, so we're going to hang out with those girls tomorrow. They have an aerial, aerial... Uh, some aerial class, acrobatic, okay, <laughs> something class. So anyway, so we're gonna see them again, and they just couldn't be couldn't be more cool. Earlier, when we were talking about the uh, living the dream book, we, you, you touched on uh, the whole thing about releases, and it, it sounded that there was a story there uh, in terms of getting releases from uh, the, the yeah. subjects in the book. Tell us about that. Well, I I now know. I I was under the impression for a long time that you really only needed. You know, for a book like that, for a documentary book, you really only needed the the release for the front and the back cover. That that was actually you know sold the book, and that's why you needed the release. And everything else inside was considered either documentary or editorial or art or mm-hmm. this, that, and the other. So a few <laughs> weeks ago, Harper Collins, who was publishing the book, one of their lawyers, you know, said right sort of in the eleventh hour. Uh, well, we need releases for everyone. Now, I have releases for almost everyone, but there are a few people that either I didn't get because it was right early on and, you mm-hmm. know, it was somebody that they're, they're not famous and they gave me, full, they knew why I was, everyone in the book knows why I met them. Like, 
that that was why I was meeting them because I told them I was doing this book and all right. of this stuff. And then there were a few big stars who, you know, they said I gave them the release and they said, "Yes, yes, we'll have our my assistant will get it to you." And and then that never happened. So there was this this hold off and I've had to go back and some of these people I have not spoken to in years. So getting back in touch with some of these people was incredibly difficult. And especially at the 11th hour, I can only imagine the anxiety. Oh, literally we were about to go to print, you know, like on a Tuesday and it was Monday. This person said, wait, wait, wait. I said, what? Why didn't you tell me this, you know, six months ago or a year ago? So anyway, that happens. And now I will get releases from everyone for everything. Well, that's interesting because that's something I didn't I didn't know, especially when it came to sort of a documentary project. I I just assumed the the, the same thing. That's right. I'm, that's what I had always heard it, yeah. and it may well still be true. This may just be a lawyer wanting to cover themselves or cover you know their or that client. particular publisher. That particular publisher it could be, but it really sort of made me it it scared me so much. I thought I'll never let this you know happen again. I will just carry you know releases in every pocket from now on. Well, you, you talk about how you're, you do a lot of commercial work, you do your personal projects, and it, it, oftentimes that is a real challenge for a photographer because much of their career is involved with sort of making work that actually earns them a living. And yeah. the personal work sort of is something they may have a desire to do at some point, but they're so caught up in doing their, you know, the work yeah. that it doesn't happen and then they lose their passion for photography. So how, yeah. how do you manage to, to do that where you're able to dedicate, you know, a good amount of time to these, to these projects that still ensure that you're able to keep a roof over your head? There's sort of a, a, um, a meter inside that, you know, sort of goes off at a certain point. And I think that was, you know, going into, like when I first did this first project, the foot book, that was, I had just gone back to school for photojournalism, like really fully. So I, I found myself making, I, I had to make time for it because up until that point I was doing, I was basically a headshot photographer, you know, for either corporate stuff or actors or writers or, or whatever. But, but I, I was doing that very full time, like uh, that's, I was very busy. So I, I found myself just ha just making time to do this other thing. And then, you know, once the foot book I felt was sort of finished, that's when the, you know, the actor thing started, but that wasn't quite clicking. And and so that's when I really thought I, I need to absolutely immerse myself. I, I can't just keep doing headshots. I can't just, you know, whether it's headshots or corporate work or whatever it is, it's just, it's work for hire. Mm -hmm. And it's not my, um, you know, at a certain point I almost felt like as an actor, there was a certain point where I, I also lost that interest too because I wasn't, I was saying somebody else's lines and somebody was telling me where to stand and, you know, when to say those lines. There, you don't have a lot of, other than the rehearsal process, there's not a lot of creativity there. And so that feeling came back a little bit. And that's why I, I just continue to push myself. And, and also, you know, now I feel like I'm, I'm in a different place where I feel like um, my wife is an anthropologist and the way she and I talk about, I mean, she and I started a project earlier in the year uh, called the Rainbow Ladies. We're, we're meeting women in, in Trinidad and Tobago, which is where she's been doing research for the year. So it's it's this feeling of, of you know, th these projects are important. If I can, you know, do enough and, and make enough to, to cover, you know, us so that we're, you know, comfortable, then I have, I can put as much time as I want into these other projects. And so I just do, instead of, you know, trying to, 
come up with, somebody asked me, a, a student, a former student asked me a few weeks ago, like he wanted to start a project and he was saying, well, what, how should I start it? What should I do? And I was just saying, you know, start simple, but just, but start it. The most mm-hmm. important thing is absolutely start it. He's, he was just sort of talking as if he were just waiting for the perfect, you know, moment to start as opposed to just starting and, and then letting it uh, shape itself. That's awesome advice. Um, <laughs> Well, my last question that I ask each yeah. guest is that I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore, and it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that photographer be and why? Right off the top of my head, I would say Mandri Sharma. She is a friend and she is an absolute a poet with a camera. She started a project and she's pretty well known in many circles. Uh, she did a project a couple years ago, a shower project where she was photographing oh, people. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I remember her, her. Yeah, fantastic work. Yeah, in her shower, she's also done a, a beautiful four by five project on Indian gods. She's from Bombay. I, I just, I, I really am inspired by her passion and her dedication to the craft and the poetry of of finding, you know, her way in the world as an artist. So she would definitely be, you know, somebody that I I think your listeners would really enjoy listening to and and would get a lot from as an artist. That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoyed having a chance to talk with you. It really, truly, I'm flattered and I'm honored that you uh, invited me. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Mark for joining us here at The Candid Frame. You can find out more about Mark and his work by visiting markbennington.com. Thank you for your continued support of The Candid Frame. If you haven't already, please take the time today to write a review in the iTunes store. Your ratings and comments help people to discover the great conversations like the one you heard today. You can also support the show by making a regular monthly contribution through Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame, or you'll find a link in the show notes and The Candid Frame website. Or if you just want to make a one-time contribution to the show, you can do so via PayPal. Thanks to all of you who have recently contributed to the show, including Michelle Elkins, Susan Rosenberg, and Tom Spadig. You're helping us to make TCF even better. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at ibarianx. Remember to help spread the word. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.